Hello, this is your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to this Ask a Leader podcast of my October 20 interview with Irvine City Council candidate, Farah Khan. Now to introduce Farah Khan. She is the founder of and continues to serve in First Drops, an interfaith organization for parents with young children. She is the executive director of the Newport Mesa Irvine Interfaith Council, a member of the Orange County Sheriff's Interfaith Advisory Board and the steering committee for the Irvine Global Village. Early appointments include Irvine Services Commissioner, Deerfield Elementary PTA President, and middle school PTA board. She currently serves on the school side council at a local high school. Her husband and she own a restaurant and catering company in Los Angeles. Previous to this family-run business, she was a senior supervisor at Chiron Corp and a quality assurance manager at Northview Pacific Labs. She completed her Bachelor of Arts in English Literature at the University of California, Davis. She is on this November 8 general election ballot for one of two openings for Irvine City Council. Welcome to Ask a Leader Farrakhan. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you for having me here today. Well, let's just begin, as I have with all the candidates. What is your vision for the city's master plan amidst the current growth where we are now, where I think we've maxed out of the actual population that was considered in the original master plan, and uh, what you envision are the needs of maintaining mixed uses in each of the subsequent future development orders. Sure. So I have a strong understanding that there is a need for housing, and we are in a position to provide some of it. However, we need to be strategic moving forward. Um, the idea of a master plan included a vision that provided housing for all income levels. There were apartments, townhomes, and single-family dwellings. This allowed people to move around depending on um, what they could afford. Right now, we have a growing senior population that requires attention, and we should focus on building affordable senior housing, um, student populations that do not have affordable student housing, and young families that really want to move back to Irvine but can't afford um, the housing market right now. And so what I'd really like to encourage is development to accommodate our community's needs, and that can include mixed use. Um, for example, in the IBC and the spectrum areas, you'll see a combination of apartments and townhomes that are close to shopping and um, close to working um, businesses. And so we see a little bit of a flow where we want people to be able to use public transportation, maybe bike or walk, walk or a bike to um, shopping areas, to their work, and to um, entertainment amenities. However, we need to be the ones to provide that source for it to work out. And right now, I don't see that happening. So when you mean we need to provide that, what do you mean by we and how provide? I think the city council needs to make sure that as we're growing and developing, that they are looking at the developers and seeing what the needs are right now. I mean, we, in IBC, we definitely could use some more commercial um, outlets for people to go to rather than more housing buildings. And um, we don't see that. We have very small commercial um, places where there's um, grocery shops or restaurants, things like that in the IBC, because if we're encouraging people to walk and bike to these places, we need to at least provide them with a good variety of them. So Farrakhan, what in your background informs you and gives you the ability to effectively negotiate with developers who have a development order before, let's say, your planning commission appointment and yourself in leveraging these kinds of aspects of the development order, because I know it's, it was very difficult 
uh, to hold the line with maintaining the village form of the, the Woodbridge area for th where the redevelopment was considered. And it's very hard to n get all uh, or sufficient number of council members to leverage a, an affordable housing increment in development orders. They haven't been able to do that in the last many years. Right. But then you know what? My experience, not only in um, the regulatory affairs quality assurance background, is where I know how important it is to do more work prior to a new project by asking the right questions about commercial needs, transportation needs, school, child care needs, park needs when working on development. But also the main um, experience comes from my working in the community. So in the past um, couple years, I worked on several projects where we've actually gathered community support to get city council members to do what they are supposed to do, for well, example, yes. non-toxic Irvine. Um, in 2014, when I was on the commission, I presented um, an idea where we wanted to go non-toxic. It went nowhere. But in later on, in a couple of years later, when these group of parents got together and wanted to um, promote having organic pesticides and herbicides sprayed, I jumped on it. I was like, okay, what can I do to help? And I made sure I was there gathering more community support, reaching out to my PTA members, um, showing up and testifying. And, um, you know, at that meeting, five to zero, the city council members said, oh, yeah, we should be um, spraying with organic materials and not toxic materials. Same thing with the street name change for Tabuco. It just happened to be I was walking the neighborhood, and a business owner came up to me and said, hey, you know, we've got this memo from the city talking about changing the name of Tabuco to Great Park Boulevard. Did my research, found out there are 64 businesses on Tribuco that were being affected by this name change. That means a cost of changing not only their letterheads and business cards, but marketing materials and reaching out to their customers. So then we gathered, we walked up and down the street, gathering as many businesses as we could, went to city council, and actually came up with a compromise where the name change did not happen from Culver to Sand Canyon, but it happened after Sand Canyon onward. Okay. So that uh, way it protected yes. the businesses. Excuse me. So the... I understand you are leveraging, you're getting the public appointees and the public uh, elected officials on board. What in your background helps you leverage from a private entity that wants certain vision of their development schematic and you want something that's going to, in their minds, cost them money they didn't expect to outlay for an affordable housing increment or a mix of more commercial uses in when they had strictly a, a residential vision for their their schematic. Sure, it's all about negotiation. And in my past work, that's what I've done. Whether it was through small business or in my um, company at Chiron, basically when you're sitting at the table with these developers, first of all, you have to build a good relationship. You can't have a good negotiating relationship when you're bashing them. Um, a good way to do it is just sit at the table, find out what the community's needs are, what their um, needs are, what they would like to see happen, what type of um, bottom line are they looking at, and really negotiate something that will be beneficial not only for the developer but also for the Irvine community. And with the demographic I was mentioning earlier and a, a fact of economic life in Irvine, which I've talked with other candidates about, we're now on an international market and that makes it all the more difficult for a set-aside for affordable housing. How can you reconcile those two different trends and needs? Sure. Again, what we've developed so far um, that I've seen is a lot of our, um, you know, our, our multimillion-dollar homes. So we've seen some great um, properties being put up. And um, reaching outside to our international um, partners is 
perfectly fine because, again, we're just, you know, we're getting our income in. 34% of our city's income comes from new development. So it's something that we rely on heavily. However, as we're negotiating forward, we really need to make sure that we are taking into account the community that we need to serve that is already here and has a need. And we need to make sure that those needs are accommodated for. So, Farrakhan, what are you learning from constituents when you're out campaigning? So, um, as I'm going through the neighborhoods, there's always, you know, the issue about the traffic and, um, what is it, the overcrowded of the schools. But more importantly, I'm seeing that each neighborhood in our um, city has different needs. And some of the needs have been the um, stop signs. There's a lot of concern about people not stopping at stop signs, especially in Woodbury and Stonegate. And we've noticed that now the, our Irvine Police Department is out there enforcing the stop signs. And so the public safety seems to be a bigger issue in certain areas. And when I go to the newer developments, they don't seem to have a problem with traffic. They've just moved in about a year or two years ago, and they think Irvine is the greatest place ever. And um, they don't think it's overcrowded. They think it's just perfect. Whereas if I go into places like University Park, I get a totally different feel from the um, residents there because they're feeling the overcrowdedness as UCI is growing, as the IBC is growing. They're in the middle of that um, growth spurt and feeling the pressure of that growth in traffic and um, the movement on the streets. If you've just joined us, you're tuned to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and my guest is Irvine City Council candidate Farrah Khan. What measures then do you propose to, within the, the jurisdiction of the city, to address the traffic about which you're talking? Sure. So two key concerns um, are to increase public transportation with routes that are accessible and useful and build ridership by providing incentives. And we can work with our local businesses to come up with that strategy. I'm also very interested to find state funding to bring back school buses in areas where driving kids to school is the only option for some parents because of distance. And that's one of the is key issues that I'm seeing is our morning um, drop-off and pickup times. There are lines of cars waiting for 40 minutes or so, uh, trying to get in, pick up the kids, and move along. And so if we can accommodate that somehow, and I know the district doesn't have that much money, I have a great relationship with them, um, but if we were able to combine our efforts through the city and the district um, and use the state somehow, that's something that we need to work on and find a way to alleviate some of the congestion there. Well, Farrakhan, with your involvement at the PTA level, I'm wondering, and I brought this up when I've had transportation topics on previously on this program, is are you in a good position with the PTA to set up incentives for households to lower the number of uh, student or to raise the ratio of students per car. You mean as in carpooling students to school? Anything, including uh, having them take their bicycle uh, down okay. to school or carpool. I've, I've always wondered why, where's that incentive program in throughout the school district, since that is a school district jurisdiction, and I would think a really great fit for PTA leadership. So basically right now, I mean, PTA has always worked on um, encouraging walking and biking to school. Um, every Wednesday, we have a program through the city where we're encouraging kids to walk and bike to school. But um, it's not the issue of those that are able to walk and bike, because the ones that are, I know for our neighborhood schools, we've seen a lot of kids that are actually walking and biking. It's the ones that are actually not too close enough or the kids are too small to walk on their own, and then there we see the ridership of cars. So carpooling would be a great alternative. Um, if that's not available, um, again, we need to look at more um, 
different alternatives so that we can provide some sort of alleviation for this traffic congestion. And um, I think for our city, we're headed in the right direction by implementing some of the recommendations from the recent traffic study, which lists specific areas of concern, um, one being hiring a city traffic engineer. I think that's a great idea we need to do right now. And the improvement um, of some of the distinct um, intersections and widening streets that are happening. But again, our focus seems to be very much on the automobile traffic, and we need to kind of shift that and make it more prominent in the public transportation, walking and biking. Well, we have had in the past institutionalized on the municipal level, right here in Irvine, some ordinances that address climate change at globally, but, but on the city level. I'd like to know, and since I've had climate scientists talking on my program previously about the lack of any kind of real federal leadership in climate change, what would you have in the way of a local initiative or initiatives that would take up this charge on the city level? Oh gosh, I'm so glad you asked this because it's my, one of my key issues is um, we need to start looking at our city to become more sustainable, not just economically but environmentally. And one of the things that I've been doing lately is I've been meeting up with um, Nicole Capritz from San Diego who headed the plan to have the city of San Diego run on 100% renewable energy within the next 20 years. And that plan has been approved. Um, she forwarded me the plan. I'm looking at it right now. We're looking at key people to review the plan and see if we can't draft a similar plan today for Irvine. Because as we're moving forward, as we're renewing our master plan, this should be brought forth, and it's key to our success in the next 10 to 20 years. How would the traffic engineer that you mentioned in terms of the, the traffic topic, how would that traffic engineer help to lower the carbon footprint at the city level? Well, I think that's where the city council needs to work with the traffic engineer and make sure that we are providing them with a guideline, and a guideline that includes um, the use of more public transportation and making routes that are accessible. Some of our neighborhoods have bus routes where people are walking 20 minutes just to get to the main street to catch a bus. We need to find an alternative to where they're not having to um, you know, walk 20 to 30 minutes just to get to the bus stop, have routes that are um, workable. We have students where parents are dropping students off at Spectrum or Marketplace. If we had routes within the city taking kids to Spectrum and Marketplace without changing two to three buses, that's what the type of plan that I'm looking forward to. What kinds of funds are you thinking are available now or should be available for this kind of meeting this transportation element? I think we need to work with all of our community partners, find out. I know the city has spent or is planning on spending $116 million right now to implement some of the um, plans that they have approved. Um, we definitely need to look at how we can, with minimal amount, kind of just kind of tweak our system a little bit and incentivize public transportation, whether it includes ice shuttles, whether it's um, better pedestrian paths, better bike paths, to really encourage an alternative mode of transportation in Irvine. Now, I'd like to know, what is your position on a city business tax? We don't have one presently. It, there was one that was a prorated formula. Then it was a, a, a stock $50 per business tax. It was dispensed with in the last two years. Right. What is your position on this element of uh, this contribution toward the city's treasury? I think the city made a mistake to remove the city business tax 
We had one of the most reasonable business license taxes in the Southern California of only $51. As a small business owner, paying $51 on an annual basis was the least of my concerns. Now we have a business license program that costs about 600000 a year to run with no income to support the service, whereas with the $51 annual tax, we were bringing in a little over a million dollars. So now where will the funds come to cover this cost? Will it be taxpayers? Where is it going to come from? It's going to come from our budget, our general budget, and that's a cost now. If the city is really interested in helping small business owners, we must work with the State Board of Equalization and other licensing agencies to provide tax breaks to small businesses. We must work with the Irvine Company and other landlords to find ways to retain our small businesses in Irvine and, let, and not, let, um, not lose them due to high rents and costs of um, running a business here in Irvine. Well, that's an interesting point you bring up, Farrakhan. How would you negotiate with the Irvine Company? I've, we've seen businesses come and go at some of the nodes that that are closest to this radio station, that uh, the lessees, the people holding a lease with the land, with the Irvine company, their owner's terms for them to abide by. How would you change that up? I think um, as a city council member, I would love to open that dialogue up with the Irvine company and other landlords. I think it's long overdue. Um, this should have happened a while back, and um, someone needs to start it up again and start that dialogue and see what kind of um, solution we can come up with to retain our small family-owned businesses in Irvine. Well, what is your sense that uh, why is the status quo as it is? I think there is a, I mean, everyone knows that Irvine is a great, um, you know, economics, economically sound city. Um, they want to be here for businesses, and I think sometimes the bigger businesses, the franchises, are able to um, outdo and outbid the smaller ones. And that's what we're seeing pop up everywhere. We're seeing the smaller uh, more unique um, small businesses leave, and we're getting more of the franchises or the chains coming in because for them, um, it's a risk they can take. Okay. So I'd like for the last question to find out where, Farrah Khan, is your financial support coming from to support your campaign? I'm very proud to say that my financial um, um, supporters are small business owners and individuals, um, in Irvine, in Orange County, and, um, you know, it's, it's because of them that I've made it this far. I've raised more than all three of the other um, Democratic candidates combined. Um, right now I'm in the lead out of all the candidates, and it's really my supporters um, that believe in me that have been contributing. So this is not a partisan race. So um, you identify in terms of a, a Democrat. What in that informs about your priorities or policies? This is a nonpartisan race. Again, it's, it's a local race. We have to serve the entire community regardless of our party affiliations. And, um, you know, th the only thing that I bring into this race that I am very passionate about is our environmental and economical concerns. Okay. Well, Farrah Khan, I want to thank you very much for your time. And as I have each candidate on I, and those that, that with whom I'm in contact around the whole area. I thank them. I thank you for running for public office. Thanks for coming over to Ask a Leader today, being on the thank program. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. Bye-bye.